Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. As coaches, if we're going to be effective, we've got to understand that every athlete walking through our door has a unique history, a unique family life, a unique genetic background. They're going to respond to stimuli and different ways and if we're going to be effective coaches for all of our kids not just a select few we've got to get to know who those people are walking through the door and that just takes time and energy this is the reform sports project a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy hi this is nick bonacore from the reform sports podcast my guest today is greg perini head men's and women's swimming and diving coach at denison university Since 1987, Coach Perini has built one of the most successful programs in the history of D3 athletics. Highlighted by seven NCAA Division III national championships, 16 national runner-up finishes, and a streak of 68 consecutive top 10 national finishes across both genders. Greg and I discuss his interest in helping young people, transactional versus transcendent relationships with athletes, and the importance of getting to know each athlete. Now, before we get to the interview, we'd like to dedicate this episode to Greg's mother, the Reverend Barbara Denison Perini, who passed on January 30th, 2024. A highly accomplished priest in the Episcopal Church, Reverend Perini served five different dioceses, was instrumental in developing the first hospice ministry in Michigan, and worked tirelessly for battered and abused women. She was a positive role model, not only for the community she served, but for her family as well. Man, I'm humbled. I'm grateful for this gentleman. We connected damn near four or five years ago. We've spoken several times. I'm, I'm really, really, really excited. He's definitely a legend. He's a GOAT. Um, you know, one of the best coaches in NCAA history for sure. The head swimming and dive coach from Denison, Coach Greg Perini. Coach, thanks so much for hopping on. Oh, Nick, it's good to hear from you again and uh, have been following you and your podcasts uh success and trajectory over the last few years you guys are doing a remarkable job just honored to be a be a part of it well thank you coach and i i've had on as you know several coaches you know i've had dabo sweeney on i've had you know bob bowman on anson dorance on a lot of these coaches that have had sustained success and 
I think our listeners, and I know I am fascinated with, I mean, you got three national titles. I don't know how many runners up. And then you were a ridiculous swimmer in your own right and had amazing success there. How do you get Denison to have such success year over year or where you're constantly either you're winning a national title, all Americans are in the fight for it. How do you keep doing it? How do you build that from scratch, which is what you did? Well, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't arrive here with an empty plate. Denison had established a, a strong tradition in swimming and diving, uh, not to the level we've taken it now, but I had a solid foundation to work from. And that was one of the things that attracted me to Denison is that I saw the resources, um, in the form of facility and, and otherwise to, 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 to build something. And, you know, I, I honestly, if you'd asked me 37 years ago when I arrived, is this the level of success we would have had? And I said, well, in some ways I would tell you, yeah, I'll be surprised if we don't have that level of success, but then knowing how hard this can be, sometimes I'm really surprised we've had this much success at all. It's a, it's a really weird dynamic, but, uh, very fortunate to work in a place like Denison that is uh, so supportive of what we're trying to do, providing us with opportunities and resources. And uh, you know, when I first arrived, it was just pretty much me, and then it was you know incremental improvements and in resource allocation in the form of you know hiring assistant coaches um, from part time to full time. Uh, then finally adding the, you know, the facility about 10 years ago. And, and so it's been a slow, you know, uh, let's say genesis of the program, but uh, consistent that way. You said 37 years, right? Yeah. And you often hear, you know, the cliches, you know, kids are soft, right? We hear it all the time. Kids are soft, you know, kid, which times change, right? You know, everyone changes. How do you have a culture in which you as a, as a human, as a coach, have been able to adapt because let's face it. I mean, things are different. Social media. How do you create that consistency within your program? Does it start with the recruiting process? Like, can you walk us through how you continue to have the level of consistent success and buy-in? It sounds like from the athletes that you bring into your program. Well, I, I think it, it starts with a vision and and a, a really strong reason why I'm really fortunate. I got into this game not necessarily because I I wanted to develop the most competitive or a highly competitive small college swimming program in the country. I got into this game because I really wanted to work with young people. And, and I was interested in using, you know, swimming as a vehicle through which we could help young men and young women kind of find their way. And I think that precedes everything that we're trying to do competitively is this, I think, innate, strong desire to work with young people and, and, and equip them for life afterwards. And, and I think if we do that process and we're committed to that process in a heartfelt and authentic way, it really makes the rest of the job much easier um, because, you know, there's a consistency in our messaging. There's a consistency in our team culture that transcends, I guess, time. I mean, trying to help young men and women, that's that, that transcends time and era and generations. And I think there are some unique dynamics in play right now with the current generation of 18 to 22-year-olds. I was just talking about this with some colleagues yesterday about what that means for us as educators, mentors, and coaches. Um, but I think we're fortunate here to start with the foundation that we're just here to try, try to help young men and young women find themselves, find out who they are, develop authentic relationships with themselves and the sport that they've chosen 
in an effort to, to, I guess, equip them for, for life after after college and life after sport. And so I think that's what's allowed us to maybe move generationally is that that common thread of helping people, I think, transcends anything that we're doing logistically or strategically, if I'm making sense. I mean, it makes complete sense. In fact, I've always heard it sounds like the people who have the most success seem to really have that But listen, I want to raise great human beings, you know, six children, right? I want to help them be great, but I'm a freaking competitor. You know what I mean? Like, like you're a competitor. So do you have to separate? Like, do you have to, I guess what I visualize as you're, as you're telling your story about helping young people, I'm like, God, do you come in every, you know, let's say the season ends in, you know, six, eight weeks, whatever it is. And you win the national title. You don't win the national title. Either way, we all start the next day at zero, right? It's like, if you're in sales, you have a great month. The next day, you're in first of the month and you're at zero, you know, whatever it is. Right. You got to compete, right? So how do you balance the the vision, like you described, of literally keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is to use swimming as a platform to help people, but also realize, man, I want to go, I want to go win national title. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but how do you continue that balance? Well, I, this it is competition and I think competition is good for people. I mean, I think it's important that we take on hard things. I think it's important that we set course on a on a goal, uh, recognizing all the potential trip wires and challenges that are going to come along the way. Um, but I, you know, I think the competitive environment exposes us a little bit in a way that we're not exposed necessarily in real time in other areas. I mean, we're fortunate to be in a sport like swimming where we have an absolute standard, which is the stopwatch. And, you know, and our swimmers are measured um, objectively every single day. They don't have to always pass. You know, I've got since played ice hockey and so much of their their ascension in sport was not only, pass, you know, putting up good metrics, but also passing the eye test with the coaches. And and I think, you know, swimming benefits from the standpoint of we've got absolute standards in the form of the stopwatch that expose us and basically tell us exactly who we are. As I, as I tell my team around here, there's no BSing the stopwatch. It's going to tell you exactly who you are. And whenever you find yourself in an environment like that, you know, you're challenged to be at your best. Um, the competitive environment brings all that out. And so if I'm committed to helping young men and young women move down the maturation pipe, I understand the competition and the discipline and the training that comes along in order to be successful in our sport is a great laboratory. It's a it's a great experience for us. And so the competition fits in with that growth mindset. I don't think you can have a growth mindset without having a healthy um, sense of competition with yourself. If that if that makes some sense. I think it's great. And you know, the reason I always I always want to dig in a little deeper, especially on a point like that, is because you know, it's so easy at the youth level, right? To, you know, younger ages, right? You're, you're, you're dealing with young adults, you know, I'm in some cases yep. today, I mean, for God's sakes, there's college football athletes, whatever, cause of COVID that are 27 years old. You know I mean? That's it is what it is. And through no fault of their own, it, it is what it is. Those are damn adults. So my point is when you trickle that back down to the high school and middle school and youth ranks, you know, it's very easy for coaches to get caught up in the results and the winning and the winning. Sure. How many of those of those coaches, I don't know, maybe they all are, maybe none of them are, are sitting there going, I really want to use this platform to, 
you know, help young people. Well, maybe they also want to do well so they can, you know, progress their career, you know, their own coaching career. So how, I guess I want younger coaches to hear from folks like yourself who are seasoned. You don't, you can never coach again tomorrow. You're a hall of famer. You know, your, your accolades speak for themselves, but I want to take folks like you and have that mindset trickle down. Cause I think at any age, if you have that mindset, you're going to get good results, putting the, the athlete ahead of anything else. I mean, what do you think about mm-hmm. the landscape and maybe taking your approach to younger kids? Do you think that you don't see enough of that? Do you think it's more driven around? Because I know you volunteer coach as well. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think as, as coaches, we've got to make a decision whether or not the kind of relationships we want with our with our athletes is transactional or transcendent. And if, if we're interested in only generating transactional relationships with our athletes, where we see athletes as a means to an end rather than an end of themselves, I think that's a path to success. And I think it can, I think one of the outcomes of that can be really good relationships. But I also know that that, generally speaking, has a pretty short shelf life. Um, if, if your athletes perceive themselves as only being a means to a coach's end, I'm not sure that there's always going to be a ton of trust there. That's always my concern is I think that when we've got the best long-term interests of our student athletes in mind and we're thinking in terms of developing um, transitional or transcendent relationships versus simply transactional, then I think we set ourselves up for a lot longer-term success. Um, you know, I've had the good fortune to work with and talk to a lot of coaches who are much better than anything I ever did. And the one thing, the one common thread that they have is that they genuinely enjoy interacting with their athletes, not necessarily from a transactional standpoint, but from, let's say, just a, a simply holistic caring standpoint. If you go back to the John Woodens of the, you know, John Wooden clearly had the love and respect of his athletes in large part because of the love and respect that he showed them. Um, there's that iconic photo of him and uh, Luel Cinder at the time, later to become Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, walking across the gym floor when Wooden was a young man and El Cinder was a student. Then there's that picture juxtaposed to that 50, 60 years later when sure. Wooden is on a cane and there is, there's Jabbar helping him across the same floor. And I think that that speaks to the quality of relationships that Wooden was driving at through through his basketball program. And, and that I think that's a role model for all of us. I think all of us can do that. I mean, whether we're talking about the Bob Bowmans of the world, who I spent a few days with out in Arizona in December, or we're talking about Doc Councilman at Indiana, who for generations just nurtured those relationships. You know, I think every coach has to decide at what level they want to have a transactional versus a transitioning or transcendent relationship with their with their athletes. And um, I just think having the latter sets us up for much longer term success. And if we're just simply trying to, let's say, take the next step in our careers. When we return, Greg and I discuss his coaching strategy for his team as well as his sons. Before we go to break, I've got another exciting announcement for you. TeamSnap, the leading provider of sports management software, has acquired Mojo. In addition to the best-in-class sports management solutions used by more than 2 million daily active users and 19,000 sports organizations, TeamSnap will now offer Mojo's award-winning library of games, drills, and session-by-session support for youth coaches, as well as robust interactive multimedia tools, including live streaming for families and fans to engage on and off the field. 
The combination of the two industry-leading consumer tech platforms also creates the most comprehensive suite of B2B tools available for youth sports organizations, including powerful content distribution capabilities to drive adoption of coaching and training programs, registration tools, payment processing, organizational management tools, and much more. To learn more, visit www.teamsnap.com and set up a free demo to learn how TeamSnap can help your organization this season. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Where we left off, Greg and I were about to discuss the importance of getting to know each athlete and coaching them accordingly. I think that's so well said. It, you know, you mentioned you have, you know, boys that played hockey and your profession is coach. So how did you juggle the balance of being dad and coach? Was it tough? How did you navigate it? Because, you know, you're a competitor. I'm sure your boys were competitors. How'd you do it? Well, I, you know, the thing that's remarkably, I, I mean, I coached five of our six sons. Our oldest didn't play hockey. The next five did. And and for me, I got into the hockey coaching simply because it afforded me an opportunity to spend time with my kids. I was a volunteer assistant coach. I played pond hockey in Michigan. I never played organized hockey. But, you know, to coach organized hockey, you got to learn something about the game that goes beyond simply skating on the lake. And, um, but for me, my priority in becoming a hockey coach is just to be able to have some time with my kids because my, my days here at the pool are pretty long. I basically leave the house at 4.30 a.m. I don't get home till 7 p.m. Um, and my boys' schedules just didn't line up with that very well. So if I wanted to have any time with my kids, it had to be at the hockey rink once I got off the pool deck. So typically I'd be at the pool deck for, you know, 13, 14 hours and then I'd head out to the ice rink for a couple hours to skate with them. So my priority in being their coach was really dad-son time. Now, having said that, we had some pretty successful teams. We had some high school teams that made it all the way to the national tournament, which was exciting. And, you know, we got into, you know, the quarterfinals and things like that. We had some pretty good hockey going on here. And my boys were as competitive as they get. But I think 
balancing that dad coach dynamic was really dependent on each one of the sons I was working with. Uh, son Joe, for instance, is, you know, you know, he's, he's cut from a really competitive cloth. He's a green beret. He's in special forces. Now he's a self-described door kicker. He's the kind of kid who loved me to be in his ear as a coach. You could say he's, he's a, com- you could just say, coach, he's a complete badass. Well, he, he's, he's, he's something else. He's a work <laughs> of art. There's no doubt about it. But his younger brother of only 15 months, it's really interesting, or 16 months, his younger brother Solomon didn't want anything to do with me on the, on the ice or on the bench. And so I had to, as a father and as a coach, I had to learn who among my sons was willing to listen to me and who wanted that input. So like with Joe or with Gabe or with Simon or with Ted, I could be their coach. With Solomon, I really had to step away from it, though, simply because the relationship was the dynamics within that relationship just didn't necessarily work for him to be a better hockey player. So the quieter I was, the better Solomon played. Um, The noisier I got with him the less effective he was. Because I think, I just simply think he got in his head and, uh, you know, he had dad's voice in his head too much and it just messed him up. So I think as a a dad coach, as a volunteer coach, you've got to read your child and ask yourself, okay, does this, does this guy need me as a dad right now or does he need me as a coach? And they're not always the same thing because ultimately it's about putting our athletes' needs before our own. And I've seen way too many times over the years where we have, a volunteer coach is trying to relive their high school or club experience through their children. And I don't always think that that's a particularly good combination. I couldn't agree with you more. So how did you, I mean, you found each personality to your yeah. own kid and coached to that. Wow. Any successful coach I've ever spoken to. And I know, and I know, cause I played for, you know, several, but yeah. I could speak to, to Mike Fox, who's retired UNC baseball coach. I speak about him a lot. And that was the first time I really played for someone who really coached everyone differently. Like he knew who he needed sure. to kind of get on, who he could, who he yeah. had to love on a little bit more. How do you do that in a limited amount of time, particularly if you're a, you know, volunteer coach? Cause you still got to do X's and O's. Well, see, you know, here's my own personal belief on that. I think you know, for us, it starts with developing that relationship with the, with the athlete even before they arrive at Denison. And we have that recruiting window that we can work to, to get to know the person and things like that. But, you know, a lot of times we have coaches just stepping out on the field. They inherit a team. They don't necessarily get to pick their team. But, you know, for me, I think the key thing, and I learned this from Doc Councilman, is that to make sure that I slow, let's say, my mind down in practices enough to listen and to ask questions and to observe. Um, I'm generally a fairly quiet coach on deck simply because I'm watching how my athletes are responding to what's going on around them with the training and with the stimulus that we've hit them with. Um, frankly, I guess my own belief is I think coaches do too much talking and not enough listening and observing. And I think the best coaches out there get to know their athletes by asking good questions, by listening to those answers, and by observing their athletes. Um, had a great conversation with Sparky Anderson, the, the great Cincinnati Reds and Detroit Tigers manager. Right after 1984, I was just getting into the coaching gig, and he happened to be one of doing one of those, those winter tours uh, with the Tigers promoting season ticket sales. And I had a chance to talk with him as they went through Lansing, Michigan, where I was in grad school. And I asked him, I said, you know, Sparky, can you tell me how many different managerial approaches you have with your team? And he says, well, I've got 40 guys on my team. I've got 40 different approaches. 
And I thought that that was particularly insightful. And I thought Anderson is arguably one of the best player. He was a player-centered manager. The guy knew his athletes well and knew what they needed. And some kids, you know, some of our athletes need that proverbial hug and some of them need a proverbial firmer place to land. And I think as coaches, if we're going to be effective, we've got to understand that every athlete walking through our door has a unique history, a unique family life, a unique genetic background. They're going to respond to stimuli in different ways. And if we're going to be effective coaches for all of our kids, not just a select few, we've got to get to know who those people are walking through the door. And that just takes time and energy. And sometimes we don't have that time and sometimes we don't have that energy. But I think... I think the time and energy we invest in those relationships correlates very highly with a successful athletic experience. Not to bring it back too much, but you mentioned the transactional versus transcending relationship. You're at the Division Three level. I played Division Three, so there's no, no athletic scholarships, right? I don't want to go down the weeds and how you know, kid. There's money available in other ways, but I don't want. To, that's not what this is about. But if you look at sports that are in our face, right? Power Five mm-hmm. basketball, men's and women's, you know, football, of course. It is transactional in many ways. I mean, it really is. I mean, coaches will tell you, you know, especially the ones that I've had on who are at, you know, the later stages of their career. A lot of them are retiring. It's a different game, you know, because they valued the relationship so much. But it really, not that it's not valuable today, but it it, it really seems like, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Like players and coaches are kind of using each other to get whatever. And I'm not, that's It could be mutually beneficial, right? It's like an agreement. Like we're going to do this thing. Is it becoming, and this just may be a, a random question to you, is Division One Power 5 type athletic, is that just pro sports and what you do, what I say you do, Division 3 and that type of, is it different? I mean, is it going to become different? How do you see it shaking out? That is the $64,000 question, Nick, and I wish I had a firm answer on this one. I do think with the amount, amount of money that is floating around the Power 5, and again, I don't live in that world. But I, I do, I live just 35 miles down the street from Ohio State. Yeah, and you're, yeah, at, you're I, in the, I, the biggest brand in the world, one of them. Exactly. And, I, you know, you read reports out of the Columbus Dispatch that, you know, they spent $13 million on nil money for the football transfer portal. I mean, that's just mind-boggling to me that, you know, I think whenever you introduce that level of income in anything, you know, I think you run the risk of getting entirely transactional. Somebody was sharing, and I, I didn't do a deep dive on this, but somebody shared a post with me yesterday how I think the Georgia quarterback just landed a Lamborghini. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. I saw yeah. that, too. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember going back to the 1980s at Michigan State when Sam Vincent, who ended up playing in the NBA, showed up in a brand-new car outside Jenison Fieldhouse um, because he had just recently signed with an agent, and what a shock that was! Oh, burn him at the stake! The media, oh, burn him at you know, like it was a big deal. Like you couldn't do it. Yeah, but I think you introduce this much money into the relationships, it's it's bound to become increasingly transactional. And I do think that that's unique. You know, I can't. I don't know if it's unique to Power Five. I know that we don't see that kind of money in D three. And I think that, so I do think it changes the nature of the relationship between coach and athlete, but I also think it changes the relationship between the athlete and the sport. 
And do we have athletes who are competing purely for transactional relationships? How far can this get me? And I understand the reality. Some some kids are putting, you know, are are putting their whole lives on the line in committing everything they've got to becoming, you know, that professional athlete, you know, and where where athletics is transactional. And I get that. There's some there's some stark realities out there where people are trying to get their needs and family families needs met. But I think you introduce that much money into any situation, you are bound to get into a transactional thing. So, yeah, I'm troubled by that. Um, you know, I'm not talking anything about whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. I'm just talking about the impact that I think it's having. And, you know, and I think it, it very easily, I think our students and our coaches and our parents and our ADs could very easily get lost in that transactional process at the expense of... I think having the quality relationship that you are looking to develop with your kids. So um, no clear answers. Uh, I don't think there's a clear path other than just saying it's going to get really, I think it's going to get messier before it gets cleaned up. Coach Perini, I can't thank you enough, man. This has been, we're going to do this again. I, your your wisdom, your insights, freaking, you know, second to none, you know, entrenched and getting ready to go into the postseason. You know, I hope you all continue to knock it out of the park. And, and I just thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks, Nick. It's always a privilege to talk to you. Keep up the great work. You're doing such important work out there. And I think getting light and air exposed to these issues is really important for everyone. So thank you. That's Greg Perini, head men's and women's swimming and diving coach at Denison University. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review our podcast as we work to grow our community of supporters and advocates. For more Reform Sports content, please subscribe to our newsletter and blog at reformsportsproject.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash slash iHeart.